quick warning. There's a swear word in this episode that won't be bleeped out, just in case you're listening with kids. This one, well, it's a doozy. Welcome back to Adventure Calls. This is another episode in the Recall series. My life abroad has been filled with things like broken bones, being broken up with, being broke financially, acquiring rare tropical diseases, and yet I'm still shouting from the rooftops that moving, living, and traveling for long periods abroad is the absolute best thing you'll do. I even named my book How to Move Abroad and Why It's the Best Thing You'll Do. It is. Even if, say, you harshly offend a 70-year-old grandma in her own kitchen. So this story, well, it's the most embarrassing moment of my life. So why am I putting myself through this? Because I want you to know that you can go live anywhere, anytime, even if you don't speak the language. These embarrassing moments happen. They'll happen to you too. But that shouldn't hold you back. If you feel a call to adventure, follow it, no matter what. You'll have a story to tell, and it all builds character. Makes you stronger. I'm pretty sure I'm not just trying to convince myself of that either. Even though I'm starting to sweat just thinking about this moment. In short, this is a story of a time when I had been living in Germany for about six months. I tried to land a harmless, not even a good joke about popcorn... And while the entire room did end up laughing, it was definitely at me, not with me. Okay, here goes nothing. In 2003, I moved to Germany with my first real girlfriend named Anya. We had been together two years at that point, though we're young. She's 21, I'm 23. So the relationship had a bit of that off-and-on quality that young relationships often do. We meet in Guatemala where I'm teaching 4th and 5th grade at a bilingual school and Anya is a bartender at a German bar there. She makes cash tips and a bit of local wages, but nothing much. And I make a whopping $250 a month. So we know we can't stay here forever since we can't even afford to fly home. U.S. immigration feels too hard to try and get her there, so we decide to move together to Germany. I know nothing about Germany. I spent all of college learning about Latin America. I know specific things like Costa Rican linguistics and the educational theories of Paulo Freire, but I'm only somewhat cognizant of World War II, and I have no idea what the Iron Curtain is, or that I'm about to move to a city that was behind it. At first, things like this, they really don't matter. We fly to Frankfurt in October of 2003 and drive to Erfurt, the capital city of a state called Thuringia. To me, it doesn't feel East German or West German. It feels like how I imagine Europe to feel. Really modern, silently whooshing trams sliding through narrow roads and old buildings. There are beer gardens, outdoor dining on plazas, and people were, of course, speaking German all around me. Since I don't speak a word of this stuff, I'm rendered silent. For a long time, the world is hustling and bustling, but it's like I'm on the other side of a window. I see life being lived, but I'm isolated from joining it. There aren't many foreigners here, and I don't have a job yet, so I don't really have anyone to talk to but Anya. 
Anya is part of the last generation of kids born into the communist East Germany. When she was 10 or so, Erfurt and the rest of the former German Democratic Republic, or East Germany, opened up and reunified with the West. But Erfurt didn't suddenly become cosmopolitan. The city did, however, get MTV Europe and American sitcoms on TV. Without much contact at all to real foreigners, Anya somehow got completely fluent in English to the point where she could pass for an American as much as a Russian spy could. She would have made a great spy. But she doesn't have a lot of friends left in Erfurt, and we can't just talk to ourselves. Luckily, we discover a Cuban bar. And although I don't understand why there are so many Cubans in Erfurt, I can at least speak to them whenever we go for Cuba Libres or rum and cokes. It takes about a year for me to really understand that communist Cuba and formerly communist Erfurt would have had intercultural exchanges and a more liberal immigration policy back when East Germany was behind the Iron Curtain. feel really alone, but I also feel really, truly alive for the first time. I'm not just connected to the present moment here. I'm living among the real-world effects of geopolitical shrapnel, and I start piecing it together on my own through my own observations. I'm collecting clues and trying to figure out the world around me without really being able to talk to anyone about it. I'm too proud to admit that I'm one of those Americans who doesn't know world history or for whom European history had just been a class in high school that I opted not to take. Much of my time was spent like this, being a detective. For example, in Germany, buildings tend to have the date it was built somewhere within the brick near the top of the building. I would notice those dates and the architecture types. And I started to realize that if a city center had many modern buildings, sometimes more than old ones, often it was these areas with new construction that were bombed during one of the wars. As long as I live, I'll never forget getting lost on a walk down an alley and seeing a white clay building with signage that said it was built in the year 780 AD. World history was alive for me for the first time. At the same time that I'm trying to put together world history and I'm trying to get a job and make some friends who speak English, I'm also trying to learn German. German is nothing like Spanish at all. If I read Italian or French, there's a gist I can grab hold of, but with German, there's no gist. I'm like a newborn baby. I need pictures and small words and a lot of patience. I read everything I can get my hands on gossip magazines about familiar celebrities. I read baby books in the big bookstore on the town square. I study train schedules, the back of the cereal box, the shampoo in the shower. I look for patterns and anything similar to English that I can hold on to. So within the first two months, I have two full-time jobs teaching English at a language school and a business school. It turns out, being in a city like Erfurt that doesn't have a lot of native English speakers means there's a lot of work available for someone like me to teach English. 
That also means I don't have time to take a German class, but I never take my eye off the ball. I'm always looking for ways to learn. Everyone is forced to speak English to me at first, but in Erfurt, people aren't really that fluent. That's why I have so much work to do. So they make a lot of mistakes. I realized pretty early on that I can learn from their mistakes. The first time I realized this is with my boss and our school secretary. I work a lot of evenings, since a lot of working adults take English after work. So my boss and the secretary leave before I do, and they always say, Okay, we see us tomorrow. At first, I think it's just a cute mistake. Then, later, I'm out on the town square, and I see these two girls my age. I'm 23 or 24 at the time, and they're the kind of girls I would have wanted to be friends with, so I'm paying more attention to them than the other people around me. The two go their separate ways, and one says, Okay, wir sehen uns morgen, and they leave. By now, I know all those words. Wir sehen uns morgen. I know that wir is we, and sehen is to see, and uns is us, and morgen means tomorrow. And then it just clicks. Wir sehen uns morgen is how friends say goodbye to each other. They don't say, see you tomorrow. They say, we see us. So all the time when the secretary and my boss were saying, we see us tomorrow, they were just translating from their first language. So I realized that I can learn German from the mistakes that people make speaking English to me. So I add this to my repertoire of German detective skills. That's how I start learning from almost every interaction. Every mistake that someone else makes empowers me to become more fluent. The more I learn, the more confident I get, and I stop looking for as much validation for that triangulation I was talking about. I make assumptions. I'm getting better at being right or right enough that I don't really doubt myself anymore. I might not be able to translate everything exactly or know the exact nuance of a word, but I'm getting it. And one thing I love to do as I get better and better at German is go to the movies. I love going to the movies in foreign countries. I do it as often as possible. I did it in Costa Rica and Guatemala, and I'm doing it here in Germany. Living abroad can be a constant pull on your senses, and there's nothing like the low-pressure situation like the movies. You're totally immersed. You're doing something cultural. You're doing something with the locals, but really, you're just in a dark room. No one's going to talk to you. You don't have to talk to anyone, and you get to watch a movie. Sometimes I leave the theater not knowing at all what I just watched, but I get a lot out of the experience, and that's enough for me. Of course, my favorite part of going to the movies is shoveling a bunch of popcorn in my mouth in a dark room. I love popcorn. And in Germany, you can order salty popcorn or sweet popcorn, which I find fascinating. Walking up to the counter for the first time, I quickly learned that the word for popcorn in German is popcorn. You pronounce it popcorn, but it's popcorn. Okay, so enough stalling. Here we go. Just remember that I know the word for popcorn is popcorn. Okay? Okay, so the other way I'm able to get so fluent in German without taking any classes is because I have a built-in family when I arrive in Erfurt. We live with Anya's mom for the first two months. She understands English, but she's too embarrassed to speak it. So I speak English with her, and she replies in German, and I just have to figure out what she's saying. 
There are also all these family parties all the time with aunts and uncles, cousins, in-laws, and Anya's grandma. So one Sunday, like most Sunday afternoons, we're having coffee and cake together with the family. It's one of the best traditions I know in Germany. On Sundays, most things are closed, you can't really run any errands, and everything slows down to a sugar-filled stop. While the coffee leaves much to be desired, the cakes are amazing. There are always so many kinds of cake. No matter where you go, no matter whose house you go to, there's always so many kinds of cake. Some are dry cakes like pound cake, some have crumbles on top, some are filled with this cream cheese thing called quark, which everybody likes. There are always so many varieties because no one just has one piece. You see, in Germany, while restaurant portion sizes, both food and drinks, are always tiny and always leave me wanting more, when it's time to eat cake, Germans go nuts. I love watching Germans go in for two, sometimes even three pieces of cake during the Kaffeekuchen time. That means coffee cake time. Anyway, so we're at Anya's grandma's apartment in a village called Hohenfelden, just outside the city. Anya, her grandma, who they call Omi, and me, we're in a small kitchen, and the rest of the family's in the living room. The apartment's small, so everyone, of course, is within earshot. Now, when I'm with Omi, I'm always so mesmerized by something old-worldy that happens. Like once, she took us walking through a forest. We picked mushrooms. How did she know which ones to pick? And then we came home, and we cooked them up in a recipe, and we ate them. Now, on this particular day, Omi is roasting a bunch of seeds in a pan, and Anya and I are standing looking on behind her. I realize I've never done anything as natural and serene as watching her roast this variety of healthy seeds in a pan. I realize I've never even thought about roasting seeds or kernels. I wonder, do these ever pop the way popcorn does? I figure they don't. But I'm just going to make a little quippy comment about them popping, you know, to like practice my German. At most, I expect the following reaction. I'm going to say something like, these don't pop like popcorn, do they? And Omi will say, ha ha, no, Jesse, they don't pop. That's what I expect to happen. So I build my sentence in my head. I know that the word for popcorn is popcorn. And I know that the verbs are often similar to the noun. So, like in English, the verb is to pop. In German, the verb would be poppen. Now, if you're German, you're already laughing at me as you listen to this. I know how to construct a verb, and I know that the word sie means both you, like the formal you, as well as they. So, for example, sie essen either means you eat or they eat. So, I figure... To ask whether the seeds pop, I don't know the word for seeds, so I have to say they. So I'll ask if they pop. I'm just going to say to Omi, do they pop? That's all. Okay, so A plus B plus C, I put my grammar together. I look Omi straight in the face, and I innocently ask this sweet grandmother the following question. Poppen Sie? The blood drains from her face until she's completely pale. Then it shoots right back up like a thermometer, beet red. Everything goes silent. The proverbial music stops. I hear one stifled giggle, 
a guffaw, really, from the living room. And Anya, she looks at me like I'm an alien, an enemy, like she's never even known me. My entire body seizes up. She's just glaring at me, just glaring. And then I see it click in her head. Suddenly she knows what I'm asking. She breathes out and then just cracks up. She bends over, covers her mouth, and is cracking up. Omi, who is standing there still aghast, looks at Anya. Really, she'll look anywhere not to look at me. I am beet red. I'm so hot. Suddenly the kitchen is so warm. My hands are sweaty. This has all taken place within three seconds, but I'm like 10 degrees hotter than I was three seconds ago. Anya stands straight, awkwardly puts her hands on her hips, looks at Grandma, and explains what I must have meant. The living room explodes with relieved laughter. Omi looks at me, really sweetly, with a little pity, and awkwardly waves it off and goes back to roasting the seeds. And then Anya explains it to me, even though I'm not really asking, because I don't even want to know. I just want to disappear. She explains to me, very kindly, that while, yes, popcorn is popcorn, the verb pop means, well, it means to fuck. Not make love or have sex. Nope, the full-on F word. I have asked Anya's Omi if she fucks. In her kitchen. While she cooks me food. And I've done this in perfect grammar, it turns out, so she thought I really meant it. We haven't even had the coffee and cake yet, so now I have to shuffle out into the living room where everyone's cracking up, and I sit down and try and shuffle some of this cake in my face. In the end, it was fine. And honestly, no one ever really makes fun of me for it again. It was all really lighthearted, and they have sympathy for me, trying to learn their language. Does that mean I've ever forgotten it? Nope. But you know what? Nine times out of ten, that detective work that I was doing, it did work. That's how I learned. So if one time out of ten, I asked someone's grandma if they F in front of their entire family in the most vulgar way possible, totally worth it. Every day you make a little mistake, you're stronger, more fluent, more informed, and more capable. Popcorn Gate is going to happen to you if you take a risk like moving abroad to a foreign country. But it's always worth it. Adventure Calls is produced, edited, and written by me, Jess Drucker. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Then head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. Every single rating helps so much for me to reach and inspire more people. If you're feeling really inspired and want to start thinking about how you can actually make your move abroad, pick up a copy of my book on Amazon. How to Move Abroad and Why It's the Best Thing You'll Do is essentially a masterclass in book form, taking my 15 years experience living abroad and distilling that into 300 pages. You'll get step-by-step tips on how to move abroad in 90 days, how to get your paperwork together, how to get a visa, advice on how to blend in like a spy, how to learn any language in the world, and more. Head to Amazon.com and pick up your copy of How to Move Abroad and Why It's the Best Thing You'll Do today.